Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, good morning. Uh, Today we're going to be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had, not, he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind." The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lloyd. Just want to take a moment um, while we, uh, before we get into our message today, just reckon that, recognize that it's Memorial Day weekend. And so I just want to recognize that if, uh, if you have served or if you have someone in your family that served or sacrificed, we just want to recognize that and thank you for that this morning. So this morning we're in a series called Chasing the Wind, and we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 4 this morning. Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book in the Old Testament, uh, presumably written by King Solomon. At least he's the main character in the book. And if you remember, King Solomon was the wealthiest king in the history of Israel. He got to live a life that people could only dream of. He had this great economic power and influence. He had these great gardens and projects, and then he had all this other stuff, all this other pleasure. He had a thousand wives and concubines. Like, that's scary. That is scary. He had vineyards, wine. He had food. 
get this, he hired an entourage of comedians and musicians to follow him around. Like, could you imagine picking your like two favorite comedians? Like if Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell was paid to follow you around all day <laughs> and just make you laugh. He had that, he had his favorite band follow him around. Imagine how epic your life would be if you had your favorite band follow you around. And like every time you moved, they did something, right? It would be so cool. So he had all this stuff. Um, but the conclusion at the end of Solomon's life is that it's all this Hebrew word, hevel. You know, I've said this over and over again. It's probably like a normal word for you now if you've been with us. But hevel is a Hebrew word that means a breath, a vapor, or smoke. It's just a mist that appears into the air for a little while, and, and you can't contain it. You can't grab onto it. It just dissipates into the air and is gone forever. And he's saying that's all that that stuff was. That party is over. No one's at Solomon's party anymore. It's just, a, it's not even a memory. It's just gone. We only know about it because he wrote about it. So you can't hold on to the moment, uh, the, this fleeting life. It's just going to disappear. And if you are only living for yourself and what you want, ultimately your life will not have meaning. And that's the journey we find Solomon on. He's desperate to find meaning out there. He's desperate to find meaning in anything that he can, and he uses this phrase, under the sun, on earth. He looks for meaning in any place that he can find it. And so as we come to chapter 4, uh, we're going to talk about selfishness today. And what Solomon shows us in chapter 4 is that selfishness is a trap that we easily fall into. I feel like selfishness is a trap that always leads to regret, whether it's immediately or down the road, selfishness always leads to regret. And I don't come in this morning with any pretense, like I am like the least selfish person here. You know, I'm, that's not true. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm selfish because I'm married. Okay, anybody feel me on that? Um, I know I, my wife reminds me that I am selfish. And, uh, just yesterday, I had a weak moment, you know, I had a weak moment, and I said something selfishly out of pride that was hurtful, and it, like, wrecked the whole morning, you know, I was like, man, if I could just only get that, those words back, like, what was I thinking, you know, and uh, it, it, when I realized mistake, of course, I asked for her forgiveness, and then I thought, oh, man, I'm preaching on selfishness tomorrow, this is, <laughs> this isn't good, man, I got a, a lot of work to do, um, you know, but we all do that. We all speak out of our pride. We all act out of our pride, out of our selfishness. And it always leads us to regret. You know, the, the appeal of pleasing ourselves um, leads us into damaged relationships. It leads us towards addiction. It leads us towards pornography. It leads us to blowing money on ourselves. And it always is hurting us and other people. It's this trap that we, we get stuck in. It always hurts you, and it hurts those that you love in the end. And so here's the selfishness trap that I see in Ecclesiastes 4. Um, it's going to come up on the screen. Yes. It's selfishness does not equal happiness. Selfishness equals hevel. It equals vanity. Selfishness does not equal happiness. Like, in our moment, 
we're selfish because we think that's how we can be happy. But it never leads to that. It always leads to this vanity, this striving. It doesn't lead to the happiness that it promises. It always ends in regret. Uh, the Apostle John said this in 1 John 2.15. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, um, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John says, don't love the things in the world. Don't, don't chase after all the other things that the world is chasing after. Don't chase um, sex outside of God's will. Don't chase spending your money outside of God's will. Don't chase you know, anything outside of God's will. Selfishness is feeding the appetites that we feed out of our discontent. Not out of a contented relationship with God. It's always because we're discontent with something. We feed our appetites. And then John talks about this idea, the desire of the eyes. Like, we are like the bug in Bug's life that's like slowly going towards the, the zapper, right? He's like, it's so beautiful, <laughs> right? And then boom, gone. But it, we get stuck on like shiny and new and it's, you know, all this stuff. Think about all this stuff you give away or throw away that was so meaningful for you five years ago, right? You know, and then he talks about the pride of life. You know, our pride is an image that we first try to project on other people and then we fight to protect. You know, our pride is an image that we project and protect. How do you like that for uh, rhyming? That's cool. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm prideful, see? That was, I'm proud of my, my writing there. Sorry. Um, but what image are you trying to project to others? You know, there's a study done recently that 51% of Facebook users um, said that using it made them feel more self-conscious. Uh, made them feel more self-conscious. Hey, I, I want to take a break just a minute. I know um, Lloyd and Monique just had to run out. They're actually um, going to deal with the situation, a lost little girl. Um, they're support officers. I just want to pray for them really quick. Um, God, we just lift up Lloyd and Monique as they go to serve, as they go to... Um, re, uh, help this family who's dealing with a lost little girl. I pray for peace. Um, I pray for your presence with them, and I pray that that little girl would be found in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep praying for them. Um, so there was a study done that showed that 51% of people on social media um, said that that using it made them feel more self-conscious. And what was surprising about what them made them feel more self-conscious is what Dr. Susanna Flores wrote a book about called Face Hooked. Clever, right? Face Hooked. She said that research has shown that Facebook users are becoming increasingly depressed from comparing themselves to their own profile. Did you catch that? Their own profile. Meaning that if a person's current reality does not match the digital illusion they post on their profiles emotionally, one may feel like they're not living up to the best form of themselves. It's very psychological, but you know, you get those things on Facebook that said, hey, five years ago, you were having this awesome life. Now look at you, you know. <laughs> Eight years ago, you were in Hawaii, you know. Six years ago, your kids were way more cuter than they are now, you know. <laughs> it's just like, 
thanks for the reminder, you know? And we get stuck thinking, man, if I could only get back, if I could only live that perfect life right now and project that perfect image. And the trap of social media says that life should always feel amazing, and it doesn't. That we talked about seasons last week. We go through high seasons and low seasons. Our lives are not designed to be perfect all the time. We go through pain. We go through hurts. And at the end of the verse, John says this. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Did you catch that first part? The world is passing away along with its desires. That sounds an awful lot like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? It's just all hevel. It's all passing away. It's all passing away along with its desires. And if that's what we follow, we pass away along with it. You know, um, this word passing away, things are so momentary. You know, we were talking about the stuff we buy. Did you know that the average American throws away 81 pounds of clothes each year? You know, those clothes were like, ah, oh, I'd look so good in that. It's like the next year is like, <laughs> goodbye, you know. Um, and if we choose to focus on those passing desires of the world instead of the will of God that lives forever, we're actually choosing death over life. We're choosing death over life. Maybe you remember when Jesus said that the, the gate is wide and the, the road is easy that leads to death. The way of Jesus is narrow and challenging. And I wish I could say, you know, it says many follow that gate that leads to destruction. Very few follow the gate that leads to life. And man, I wish he said the opposite. Wide is the way that we leads to life. And easy. But it's not. It's narrow. It's challenging. And here's what we need to realize. The world will always pressure you to think selfishly. The world will always pressure you to think selfishly. Think about your workplace, maybe your family. Um, maybe your peers, like they are always pressuring you to think selfishly. You know, and, and often we have great Christian families. We, you know, so I don't know what context, you know, that, that that would happen in, but it's happening. There is pressure for you to think selfishly. There's pressure for you if you're trying to walk that narrow path. You go to work and you feel like it's always trying to pull you over on the wide path that leads to destruction. Like, hey, why are you worried about that stuff? Care about the stuff that we care about over here. P pleasing ourselves, selfishness, selfish living. And so what that means is that if we're trying to follow Jesus, we're always going to be a f in a fight against that. We're always going to have to fight against that pull. It's like, you know, it's every, you ever drive a car that's out of alignment? You know, like always wants to pull you over on the shoulder and you're like, stop, you know, I just, I just want to drive. It's like that. It's like the world's always trying to pull us over uh, to the broad and easy path of living selfishly or supposedly easy path. It's really a more difficult path. It's always trying to pull us that way. And Paul gets to the heart of this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, your thinking. May your thinking be renewed by God, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is accept what good and acceptable and perfect. So you see, the world is always trying to get us to conform to it. Like they want you, yeah, you can say you're a Christian, but your real values should be over here. 
Your real values should be in what we're doing. Your real values should be selfish values. Don't, don't make this weird thing like your values, living for other people, be what we're about. And Paul says, don't be conformed to that. Be renewed by following Jesus. And maybe you know that place that's always pulling against your soul. Maybe you know exactly what I'm saying. Like you go to work every day and it just pulls against your soul. It pulls you. You know, it's a constant fight not to conform. What that says is that you, you know, you can't always remove yourself from that situation, but you need an awful lot of Jesus in your life. You need an awful lot of Jesus in your life or you're going to be worn out by this wide and broad path. You know, without making Jesus a priority, it's just a matter of time before you slip into it. And so what I want to talk about today are these four different traps of selfish thinking. Because that's what Ecclesiastes shows us. It shows us four different traps of selfish thinking. And I'm just going to lay them all out now, and then we're going to talk about each one. But they're the trap of chasing power. It's a trap of chasing superiority. There's the trap of chasing comfort. And there's the trap of chasing success. So it's power, superiority, comfort, and success. Those are four traps of selfishness that the world tries to pull us into. For Solomon wrestles with power. He says, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. But then get this, he says, there is no one to comfort them. So God's not just concerned about those who are being oppressed. He's also concerned about the oppressors. And that's sort of like a mind-blowing thing. But the world is all about power and control. The world is full of the abuse of power. Our world is constantly abusing power. Today, there are 30 million people around the world who have been forced into some type of slavery. 80% of that is sexual slavery. 20% of that is labor. You know, and there are parts of the world, like in Cambodia and even Thailand, like we just talked about, where wealthy Westerners come to buy prostitutes. You know, there's this abuse of power in the world system. And Solomon looks around and he sees, even from his high position, he sees oppression everywhere. And we don't need to go to Cambodia to see that. It's happening right here. It's happening right where we're at. There are kids here in Blaine and Whatcom County that are living in abusive situations. There are people who may struggle their whole life because of trauma that they've experienced. There are single-parent homes where one spouse is just fighting to make it every single day. There are people who are fighting to find a place, a place to live because they can't find anything affordable in our town. But look at this. Are we even willing to take the step that Solomon did? I mean, at least Solomon looked at the tears of the oppressed. Like, we might not be power hungry, but are we willing to look at the tears of the oppressed? Are we willing to engage those who are hurting? Or do we use our power to shield ourselves from that? To shield ourselves away, to create a barrier between us and suffering? We might not want to look at the tears. But if we do this, we're meeting the, missing the heart of what Jesus came for. We're missing the heart of the whole gospel. He said in Luke 4, he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Jesus is proclaiming this in the temple because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. There's that word again. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This hit me so hard this week. Like, if we ignore the poor and the oppressed, we're missing the heart of why Jesus came. If we ignore the pain in other people's lives, we aren't really loving people the way Jesus intended. We aren't being honest to what Jesus has called us to do. You know, we can't just be in community with people who have it all together, because that's an illusion. We need to include people who are suffering. Jesus calls us to engage the oppressed, not tell people to clean it up a bit and then come to church. No, come as you are. Come as you are. Solomon moves on to this trap of superiority. He says, Then I saw all the toil and all skill and work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. See, we all have this terrible problem. Sometimes our primary motivation on the inside is what people look like on the outside. Does that make sense? Like we see what people look like on the outside and they look like they have it all together and that becomes our internal motivator. You know, I had a, I had a moment this week where I was um, watching a friend of mine who I went to, went to school with preaching at his church in Utah. I was like, man, he, he's a better preacher than me, man. That's not cool. Um, you know, he dresses better than me. He's got way cooler glasses. I don't even wear glasses. Maybe I should. You know, and for a moment, just a moment, it's like, man, if I want to be a good preacher or a pastor, I need to be like this guy. That was just wrong thinking, right? That was just terrible thinking. God said, no, like, I've made you the way I've made you. Like, I've given you a role just for you. I've put you where you need to be so that you can grow. I have you where I have you. We often let other people's exterior, maybe it's in your job, or maybe it's as a mom or a dad, we let that kind of influence and, and motivate us for how we act. And God is saying, that's wrong. That's just hevel. It's chasing after the wind. It's a terrible motivation. What I should have said when I saw that video is like, God, thank you for calling him to Utah. God, thank you for calling him to be about your kingdom out there. Thank you for using him. That should have been the response. But believe this morning that God is gifted you and placed you right where you need to be. Don't fall into the trap of always having to compare your stuff to other people's stuff. God has you right where he wants you. So next, Solomon talks about the trap of chasing comfort. The trap of chasing comfort. He says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Those are hard words, you know. So I mean, hey, if I rest a little bit, like I'm going to be like, have some kind of flesh-eating disease, or, like, can you help me out on that? That's not what it means. Don't worry. Uh, but no, this is, this is one that we are vulnerable to. You know, the idea of eating your own flesh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, you consume everything you have. It can mean that. Um, but it, it kind of gets back to this character that Solomon talks about in the book of Proverbs called the sloth. The sloth is the worst superhero who ever lived, okay? He's just lazy. He's like, oh, there's a problem. I'll get to it Thursday, you know. Um, You know, the sloth is not a good character. 
Uh, you know, the sloth is the one, he says he folds his hands during the harvest. He puts his feet up. He rests when everyone else is working. The sloth is the one who puts his hand in the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it up. You know, and it says the sloth ends up poor and alone. And, like, when I started realizing this character popped up, I'm like, God, I don't want to be this sloth. Like, help me with this, you know? But our culture is, the, a, is a, it can create, it's a breeding ground for this because we have everything we want whenever we want it. Like, it's easy to be the sloth in our culture. But the sad thing about if we make our life about comfort, it doesn't just take away, like, you know, our productivity. It takes away so many other things. It takes, like, away our desire for community. Like, it takes away our desire to, to, to achieve. Um, it takes away, like, our drive to work. Like, God's given us stuff to do, but, like, if we're comfortable, like, we're kind of lulled to sleep. Um, David Gibson put it this way, and I've never heard this before, but I thought it was interesting. You know, you can take it or leave it. But he said, workaholics are often warned that on their deathbed they will not wish they had spent more time at the office. Ecclesiastes warns us that certain people on their deathbed will wish they had spent at least some time at the office. It's like, whoo, man. You know, like, but there's balance there. Like, God has not just created us to be productive followers. Part of that is just being productive in society. Like, we all have, like, something that he's called us to do. Like, consider your vocation sacred. It's serving other people. Serve God through what he's called you to do. Ultimately, following Jesus is not a great way to get a comfortable life. Okay? Um, does it have adventure? Yes, it has adventure. Do you get to, like, experience power? Yes, you get to experience God's power. Is it meaningful? Absolutely, it's meaningful. But is it comfortable? Not really. It's not always comfortable. In Luke 9, there was someone who wanted to follow Jesus, and he said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus kind of just lays it out there. He says, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, are you ready to follow me, even if it means giving up where you live, things you love? Are you ready for that, to, to, to tent it with me, you know? instead of staying at the Hilton. So there's that trap of chasing comfort, and then this last trap is this trap of chasing success. The person who chases success is not a sloth, um, but still living foolishly. They're still stuck chasing after the wind. They're still stuck trying to pursue fleeting gratification, working to acquire wealth for themselves. Solomon says, again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity, and catch this, an unhappy business. He uses the word unhappy, like if you are constantly working and striving and working and striving for yourself, you're unhappy. And that's the message of the, the wisdom in this is he's saying if you live a perfectly self-focused life, it's going to lead you into a place of disconnection and loneliness. Like you might end up with some drinking buddies, but you won't end up with any meaningful relationships. You know, I have so many peers who I used to work with, you know, who kind of wrote off getting married and having kids, you know, because they just wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. 
They just wanted to live the way they wanted to live, and not getting married and not having kids meant they were free from that kind of heavy responsibility. You know, like, I want to keep my options open. But the problem with that thinking is that, hey, if you're not committing your life to anyone else, no one's committing their life to you. Like, you, there's, there's not wisdom in that. There's just, like, I'm going to be happy because I can do whatever I want. And Solomon's saying, that's a trap that you can fall into. You miss the beauty. Sometimes you have to walk through pain with people to get the joy. Does that make sense? And that's why Solomon says this. In comparison to that, he said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone, and when he falls, has not another to lift him up. You know, the trap of pursuing success only for yourself, to living a self-focused life, is that you sacrifice relationships, and you sacrifice the relationship of finding joy in Jesus and being a part of his will. You know, the Apostle Paul said everything he did, he counted as loss, only to know Jesus. Like, that was his only thing. I, I want to know you more. And so I would say this morning, if, you're, if you find yourself in that trap, like, change course. And the first relationship that you need to work on is the one with you and Jesus. Like, get that one right. Confess to him, because he isn't a God who's disappointed and angry and bitter at you. He's a, God, he's a father with open arms who wants you to run into them to come back home like he is ready for you he's not he's not going to give you the passive aggressive thing that my mom would if i got in trouble you know um i love you mom if you're listening sorry oh man um but you know and then pursue community like the church is supposed to be this example of extreme unity like when jesus jesus in john 17 before he goes to the cross he says, I pray for these also that they would be one just as you and I are one. Like Jesus wants our unity here to reflect the unity that he has between the Father and the Son. Like, I don't, I, that's like mind-blowing. Like, I don't even know how to comprehend that type of unity. But what I do know is that that means if you are a follower of Christ and you are part of a church, there isn't room for loneliness. Like, you are to be known and loved and to know and love others. And in fact, this passage that follows is probably the most famous part of the whole book. And you've probably heard this in, I don't know, countless things. Solomon says, Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And then here's the famous part. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Have you guys heard that before? Yeah. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. How do two people make a threefold cord? God is with them, right? God is with them. It, Jesus said in Matthew 18, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. Like, I am with you. Like, when you get about my business and not your own unhappy business, like, I am with you in that. I am present with you. And we experience in that a power of connection and security that we can't get no matter how much money we have, no matter how much we earn. Like, that is where the security and power is. And the Spirit of God stirs when we get together. He stirs when we get together and are about his business. It's, it means laying down our selfishness and uh, following Christ. 
It's to adopt both the person of Jesus and the cause of Jesus as our own. And here is kind of our final point, and the band can come on up as we, uh, as we get look to at closing. Here's the point of the whole thing. Instead of falling into the traps of selfishness, there is wisdom in following Jesus. Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. It's considering all the ways you could take in life and saying, no, this is the better way. I've thought about it. It's a wisdom book. And so consider the wisdom of following Jesus. You know, you don't end up with hevel. You don't end up with the whirlwind, with stuff that, like, you can't manage or contain. Uh, You end up with a renewed mind and a transformed heart. That sounds pretty good. Um, You end up with fruit that God creates in you. When you stay connected to the vine, he creates fruit in your life. Internal fruit, not external stuff. He gives you peace. He gives you peace. And peace is better than all of our striving. Um, Solomon said, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Like he's saying, don't, at the end of the day, don't you really want peace? Like, isn't that what you want? You don't want to have to chase all that stuff over and over and over and over again. Like, you want the peace that passes understanding that only God can provide. He doesn't just give that. He gives love. Love is better than any individual success or comfort we can have. Relationships are more important than personal pleasure. You know, when we see that we just read that two are better than one, if one falls, another picks him up. You know, if, if, if someone falls, someone has your back. Like, there's nothing more powerful than when you're going through a crisis, when someone looks at you and says, don't worry, I'm here, I'm, I want to help you. Like that, and I've been the re- on the receiving end of that, and there's nothing, like, more freeing than that. And then ultimately, it's God who picks us up, right? He's our rock, he's our comforter, he's our solid ground, he's our rescuer. And then he ends with this story about a poor youth with humility and an old king who forgot how to be humble, who forgot how to listen. And he said, the wisdom in following Jesus is that people will listen to and follow the humble person over someone who doesn't listen, even if they're a king. And so, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to follow Jesus this morning? Are you willing to continue to stay in the fight, to fight the good fight, to stay on the narrow path? Because it's not easy, but it leads to life. The, the truth of the Bible is there's a wide path that's constantly trying to pull us in that leads to death, but it's only in Jesus and following him, his person and his cause that we find life. So don't get caught in the trap. Whatever your trap is, and I hit on a lot. It felt like a shotgun this morning. Just like, here it is, you know? Um, I don't know what trap it is for you, um, but we all fall into traps. We all fall into selfishness and know that Jesus isn't there disappointed in you. He's the loving father that you can run to. He wants to restore you and bring you to solid ground, not judge you for not measuring up. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you, God, for the wisdom that you give us, God. Lord, that you don't just tell us what to do because you told us so, but you show us, God, how life is better with you. 
how when we choose you, we find life. Lord, we might not understand it, but we have it in you. And so I pray that, Lord, for, for those of us who are struggling to believe that, Lord, who are hanging on to things, who are stuck in a trap and feel weighted down, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would free them from that trap this morning. That you would free them in your mercy and your love to see you for who you are, to see love in your eyes, to get our focus off the ground and get our eyes up on you. Jesus, set us free this morning. Set us free in our trap. Set us free in all the pursuits that we have that aren't focused on you, God. We don't want meaningless lives, God. We want meaningful lives, living for you and your kingdom. Jesus, I pray for strength for our group. I pray for strength for everyone sitting here, Lord, that this week that they just wouldn't sit on some words or some thought, but God, that we would act on it, that we would be people of action. And even now, God, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Even now, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Lord, we don't need to look at the world for comfort because we have all the comfort we need in you. God, we don't need to chase our own success because, God, when we follow you, we are loved by you. And you will say at the end of time, well done, my good and faithful servant. A thousand people could say that. It wouldn't matter, but one word of it coming from you really matters. So Jesus, I just pray, God, for freedom in this place. I pray for freedom over our hearts. Jesus, that you would set us free this morning, God, to keep our eyes up and focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.